Welcome to Call Jeshurun, a podcast from Congregation B'nai Jeshurun, a vibrant and flourishing Reformed Jewish community in Short Hills, New Jersey. Welcome. I am Rabbi Matthew Gewertz. Call Jeshurun is where you can come to engage with teachings of relevant wisdom and music. You will hear from our clergy, staff, and guest speakers who will help bring meaning into a world that so badly needs it. If you would like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at tbj.org. Shabbat shalom, everybody. Shabbat shalom. Thank you so much for coming and for allowing me to share my story with you. I always believed in fate. I was convinced my destiny was predetermined and my life would follow along the path that God chose for me. I trusted that things would always turn out just as they were meant to be. This theory has been tested many times in my life, but none more drastically than on September 11, 2001. Let me back up for a bit and fill in some blanks for you. I married the first love of my life, Stephen Goldstein, in 1996, just a few blocks away from here at the Crystal Plaza. My maiden name was Moskowitz, and as far as Jewish last names go, it was definitely a lateral move. (laughs) Steve and I met on a blind date, which happened to be on Yom Kippur. I was a very cheap date. No eating or drinking, just walking around Central Park, passing the time until we could join our respective families to break the fast. Our connection was instant, and we soon learned of several coincidences that led us to cross paths many times earlier in our lives. We interpreted these coincidences as fate. We believed we were meant to be together. We were each other's beshert. When Steve proposed to me, he gave me a very well-worn, marked-up copy of Plato's Symposium. He explained the philosophy to me, dummied down, of course, I'm smart, but not like philosophy reading smart. He said, when our souls are created, we are split into two halves, a male and a female. The goal in life is to search for and find your other half. This is where the term soulmate comes from. Inside the front cover of the book, Steve wrote, I always knew I'd find you. We set up house in Princeton, New Jersey, And it wasn't long before our first angel, Hannah, arrived. Seeing Steve as a dad was such a joy. He was so in love with her and loved the fact that she looked just like him. People actually called her Steve in a dress. Three years later, our second angel, Harris, arrived and our family was complete. What made Steve's bond with Hannah and Harris so so special was that he worked from home and got to spend more time with them than most dads did. Steve did some confusing financial thing regarding weather derivatives and developed his own online trading system in our basement. Not long after, he sold it to Cantor Fitzgerald. His first day of work there was August 20th, 2001. Three weeks later, Steve went to work and never came home. Hannah was three at the time, and it was just 11 days before Harris's first birthday. 
That day also happened to be Hannah's first day of preschool to be followed by her first ever ballet lesson. Steve painted her tiny little toenails pink the night before to match her leotard and tights. I'll spare you the heartbreaking details of the day itself, but my first question, of course, was where was God and how could he let this happen? Was it even conceivable that 3,000 people were fated to die that day? All in the same place? At the same time? Not possible. If there even was a God, which I doubted at the time, he failed in the hugest way possible. I was angry, and I felt utterly betrayed by God. Everything I ever believed in was gone. What was I supposed to do now? I thought my life was over, and to be honest, I wanted it to be. But clearly, that wasn't an option for me. Hannah and Harris gave me a reason to wake up every morning. I'm here today because of them. The days that followed were a complete blur. I was basically a robot. I managed to get the kids up, dressed, fed, bath, bed, and whatever came in between. I often went to sleep when they did, just because I couldn't wait for the days to be over. I joined a 9-11 support group, which was the only place I truly felt comfortable. The fellow grievers were from my planet. Everyone else was an alien. Many months went by before I started to occasionally join my girlfriends for lunch and possibly a movie. Even more months went by, and I slowly crawled out of my shell. I could finally take a deep breath without it catching in my throat. I could smile, I could laugh, I could function. I had to take over all of the husband stuff, sorry to any feminists out here, paying bills, shoveling snow, buying a car, changing light bulbs, and even killing spiders. I was now the CEO of the family, promoted from administrative assistant. But I did it. Strength I never knew I had appeared and suddenly took over. Along with taking charge comes a sense of empowerment, and boy, was I empowered. This spilled over to other areas of my life. I began writing again, a hobby I had long abandoned, and even got a few things published. Underlying everything was the fact that I knew I had to make things okay for Hannah and Harris. I was now mom and dad, and it was exhausting, but somehow I was able to make everything work. I was gradually becoming a better version of myself, the person I feel I was meant to be. Steve would be so proud. I knew at this point that we were going to be okay. Okay, now get, let's get to the fun stuff, dating. To be completely honest, I dreaded the whole idea and couldn't even imagine being with anyone else but Steve. But there was also a part of me that admittedly knew I didn't want to be alone. I loved being married and couldn't imagine life without that kind of connection with someone. It was really important to me that Hannah and Harris grow up in a house filled with that forever kind of love and stability. I can't say there was a specific time when I felt ready, but let's just say the thought of dating and meeting someone became less and less repulsive over time. Back then, there was no J-Date or Hinge or Match or any other online dating sites. People often relied on friends or friends of friends or friends of friends of friends, to be set up. And that's what ultimately happened. 
I got a call from a dear friend in Boston who said she had someone to set me up with. She asked if she can give him my number. I was unsure and iffy, but then she said, his last name is Goldstein. You wouldn't even have to change your name. Eric Goldstein called soon after and left a message. It took a few weeks to muster the courage to call back, but once I did, our conversation lasted for hours. Of course, there was a typical small talk. What do you do? Where did you go to college? How many kids do you have? And in this case, what kind of jeans do you wear? Eric is in the denim business, for those who don't know. Luckily, I passed that test and asked, and the conversation continued. What are your kids' names, I asked. Jacob and Harris, he said. Wait, no, really. What are your kids' names? Jacob and Harris, he repeated. I almost dropped the phone. My son's name is Harris, too. The coincidence, I mean, the coincidence of having not only the same last name, but also sons with the same first name, was too uncanny to ignore. Was God back from his temporary leave of absence? Is this fate meant to be, or just random luck? I agreed to go on a date with Eric Goldstein the following weekend. I was still living in Princeton at the time, and Eric lived here in Short Hills. He drove down to meet me, and we met at Mediterra, a local favorite restaurant. I got there first and was waiting at the bar with sweaty palms when I saw him walk in. Eric is a pretty big guy and hard to miss and could appear as intimidating to some. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but as he hugged me hello, I was at ease immediately. Dinner lasted hours, and we were asked to leave because the restaurant was closing for the night. We walked next door to the best ice cream parlor ever, Halo Pub. I highly recommend it. Mint with Oreo cookies is the best. Now it was getting really late, and the lights in the ice cream parlor shut off. Begrudgingly, it was time to end the night. We parted ways with an innocent, sweet kiss and got into our separate cars. Less than a minute later, my cell phone rang. It was Eric. He wanted to continue our conversation. That night, I went to bed with a huge smile on my face and huge hopes in my heart. I kept our developing relationship under wraps for a while. I didn't want to hear the opinions and, frankly, judgments of whether it was too soon or happening too fast. I wanted to keep this to myself and listen to my own instincts. But one afternoon, I got a call from my friend Jackie. She, too, had the perfect guy for me. She went on to say her family vacations with his family in Aruba every year. And he's divorced, and he's the nicest guy in the world, yada, yada, yada. His name is Eric Goldstein, and he has two sons. One of them is named Harris, too. I, I immediately cut her off. Jackie, I said, I'm already in love with Eric Goldstein. The cat was officially out of the bag. When I hung up with her, that word fate popped up in my head again. Do I dare believe? Do I get a second chance from God? Does God get a second chance from me? What can I say about Eric? So much. There really are no words in the English language 
that are good enough to describe, to describe what an incredible person Eric is. But if I had to pick just one word for me, it would be home. From our first meeting, Eric always felt like home. We waited a while before introducing the kids. We, wanted, we first wanted to make sure this was going to be a permanent thing, and it was. A little over a year later, Eric proposed, and I said yes. We found a house in Short Hills that fit our big Brady Bunch family and were married in the backyard, surrounded by the family and friends that watched me go through the lowest point in my life to finally witness my happily ever after. Merging our families wasn't easy, I'm not going to lie. It took a long time, and there were definitely some stressful and discouraging moments. The kids were still so young, and there were so many conflicting emotions for us all. But Eric and I persisted. We had a clear vision of the end game, a cohesive family unit. And we did everything we could to foster that. Vacations, holidays, dinners, and lots and lots of conversations. And it worked. <laughs> We've now been married for over 17 years, and I can confidently say that the four kids have just as strong a bond, if not stronger, with each other than any biological siblings. I cherish Jacob and Harris. They are technically my stepchildren, but in my reality, they are just as much my children as Hannah and Harris. Countless people told me that Steve handpicked and delivered Eric to me, which seems like a very sweet idea and definitely something that he would do. But was it really fate? Was this chapter of my life predetermined? And if I did believe that, and it's a big if, wouldn't that mean Steve died so I can meet Eric? Just swap them? Are people just disposable like that? I still struggle and live with this concept on a daily basis, and that's not easy. But how else do you explain the events of my life? There has to be a higher power. Something or someone got me from September 11th to now. I absolutely couldn't have and didn't do it alone. And I really believe that wholeheartedly. I felt like I needed to recognize and honor and formally thank this higher power. So in 2009, I stood on this very beam, well, not this one, the one in there, and became a bat mitzvah. Who was I thanking? I'm honestly not sure. God? Fate? Steve? Tom? Dick? Harry? <laughs> I still don't know. Do I believe Steve was my destiny? Yes. Do I believe that Eric is my destiny? Yes. There has to be a higher power. There has to be a plan. Whatever or whomever it is, it turns out that I was right all along. Things really do end up just as they are meant to be. I learned many lessons over the last 20 years, but one stands out the most, and it's something I say to my children dur during challenging times in their lives. The worst thing that could possibly happen, and it was, happened. And we're fine, better than fine. If we could get through that, we could get through anything. I truly believe that, and I hope they do as well. The dress I'm wearing has only been worn twice before. The first time was at Steve's funeral, and the second was when I read Steve's name at the 10th anniversary ceremony at Ground Zero. I will wear it once again tomorrow morning when I read his name at the 20th anniversary ceremony at Ground Zero. My relationship with Steve did not die when he did. 
His grave, his grave marker says, love lives on, and it does. It lives on through Hannah and Harris, who in addition to looking exactly like him, inherited everything that was good about Steve. May he rest in peace knowing we are in very, very good hands. Shana Tova, everybody. May this be the best year yet for us all. Thank you for listening to this edition of Call Jeshurun. If you would like to learn more, visit our website at tbj.org and follow us on social media for updates on all our upcoming opportunities for engagement. We really hope to see you soon.